0: having you, this Black Country bloke, tune of that, with me, Kev Dylan, Craig Pinches, and we've got a very special guest on tonight, Nikki Cadman. Nikki Cadman is Lee Cadman's wife. Now, those who have been with us since the beginning, the second episode we released was called Two Sides of Every Coin. Me, having a disability from the ages of three years old, and always thinking about myself and how it affected my life. And it wasn't until I became a father when I started thinking about how it affected my mum and dad And then Lee and Nikki having two beautiful children and the third child having a rare illness. So, before we get together, how it affected the person with the disability and the parents. So, we've asked Nikki to come on to talk about her experiences because they say there's no love like a mother's love. So, thank you very much, Nikki, for coming on. So, would you like to first tell us about how it all came about? Because I remember, like, she had a bronchial Can I say it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um,
0: you...
2: when Carla was uh, eight weeks old, she had bronchiolitis, Um, was taken into hospital. Um, was fine. Um, the night before that happened, though, um, she'd had a bath. Um, and was like shivering uncontrollably. I um, just thought she was cold, so wrapped her up, never thought anything of it. Ended up getting back into hospital because of a bronchiolitis. Um, the same thing happened again when she was in hospital. Um, and a nurse said to me, have you seen this happen before? And I said, well, yeah, it happened last night. I just thought she was cold. All of a sudden, alarm bells go off. Several like, nurses, doctors come running in. They start taking um, blood, lumbar punctures. And then that's when they told us she'd had um, a febrile convulsion, which is a seizure um, due to temperature related. Um, we she had several other little things after that, um, other little types of seizures. And didn't really come anything of it, and they said it was just going to be febrile convulsions, and she'd grow out of it. Um, these, however, continued, um, and then she started having tonic clonic seizures, which are your new ones that you see on tv and um, when the whole body is shaking um but there were little triggers so like she'd go in the bath or just getting ready for the bath she'd start having a seizure and um, these played out like five ten minutes at a time and then eventually they got longer and longer and longer and um, we had our first longest one it was an hour and 20 minutes long there's a thing on facebook like a little picture it says you never know how long the seizure is until you watch your child having one and you're counting it and when you it's hard to describe it's the longest 30 seconds of your life you try sitting there and count 30 seconds when it doesn't seem to go very quickly and it's like you you've counted and counted and counting and you're waiting for this time to pass anyway She ended up being put into an induced coma Um, and we were sent to Birmingham Children's Hospital who sent us for tests Um, and six months later, a week before her first birthday, she was diagnosed with Drago Syndrome, which is a rare and life-limiting form of epilepsy.
1: That's crazy. How old was, how, how, how old was how old she? Old. Uh, again, sorry. It
2: was a week before her first birthday, she was diagnosed. Her first seizure was at eight wow. weeks old.
0: Wow. Eight weeks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, and not then,
2: when... um,
0: sorry, carry on. You carry
2: um, on, sorry. With, with, with Drabai syndrome, it's like a ticking time bomb. Something has to trigger it there's a there's a big hype about vaccinations cause it it doesn't cause it, it just triggers whatever is inside, that bomb to go off, Callas happened to be having bronchiolitis that triggered her but Gervais's and James story to start
1: which is something that um, m- most young ones have don't they because my son had it I think, he, he had it um, and it was hard for me to see him in the hospital and he was, I can't remember how old he was now, but he was he was older than eight weeks anyway. um, And older than one, I think he was a couple of years old. And to see him in the hospital, and he had like a tube in his nose and whatever else, it was mm-hmm. my firstborn. He, like it was heartbreaking for me. So I, I wouldn't even want to try and imagine what you guys go through. Um, with that, and like you say, 30 seconds, that's a very long time when, when you feel that it's never going to end.
2: Yeah, it's you have to, like nowadays, we have to give rescue medication to stop a seizure if it gets to five minutes. And that five minutes is such a long time. And then you have to go in an ambulance. And then you're waiting for that ambulance to arrive. And you get to 10 minutes and you're like, where on earth are they? Because the, the longer it prolongs, you're going towards the next step of going into a coma again. And we did that not long ago, uh, a couple of months ago. She'd had a tonic-clonic um, over and over and over again during the night, which we hadn't seen for about three years. And we were blue-lighted to Russell's ball. Um, and it was scary because it's, you, you, you kind of get used to it in a way. And paramedics used to say, is how are you so calm? Um, and you say, well, you just get on with it because I've got to rely all that information about her to them, if I'm a mess, they can't treat her because I can't tell them what they need to know.
0: It's amazing how strong we can be at the right time, isn't it?
2: Yeah, you know you've got to be.
0: When we like, it's almost to sit there, like me and Craig are both daddies ourselves, and you think to yourself, I don't know if I could be that calm in that in that time. But it's amazing how you step up to it when you've got to, isn't it?
2: Yeah, you've, you've got no choice. She, she's going to rely on us for the rest of her life. And unfortunately, with Dravo syndrome, there is no prognosis. Um, with Calorie, we live every day as it, it was her last day. Um, sorry. That's no, <laughs> um, all right. It
0: was,
2: nah. It's hard. <laughs> so We just enjoy it what we can.
0: And that's what you've got to do, isn't it? You've, yeah. Lee's often said, he goes, the one thing that he wishes he'd had more of is time, like this particular time, when we're, we're all in
1: together. And I think as well, um yeah, sorry, I, I think Lee's mentioned before, I think on the first one he came on, about how how you feel the brunt of it as well, through not only the situation you're going through, um, with your daughter, but you have other children as well, and yeah. obviously she requires a lot of attention, and and you having to have to be there. And how I'm, I can't remember Lee's words, and I don't want to um, put anything on, on the plate that we didn't say. But how how tough it is to divide your time up and to focus a lot of time on your one daughter because she needs it. Um, it takes away. You feel it takes away. Um, from the other children as well.
2: Yeah, um, they've both struggled with anxiety massively. Um, several times they've woken up and we haven't been here because Ella's been poorly in the like night, to do with a chest infection or a seizure, and we have to just go and drop everything. You can't say goodbye. Um, and they've seen her at her worst. Um. They both have mentors at school um, to help deal with their anxiety levels. Um, there was a stage where Lily, our eldest daughter, really struggled going to school last year and she cried all the time um, and it's heartbreaking because it's it's put on them and you can't give them the time that you need so it is really hard um, because you need to give your time to Cala and they're really, really understanding that if she needs this doing or this doing, they've got to write their turn. And it's I don't want that for them, but unfortunately that's how life is in our house.
0: Well, when, well, I, lost I, lost my vision, when I lost my vision, Nick, at three, my brother was 13. And was a few years ago, I said to him, I went, Rich, were you ever jealous? Because I was always, mum was always there and dad had come straight from work. I said, did it, did it affect you? And he goes, Kev, the only focus I had was making sure my little brother was all right. Because you, you expect them to be jealous and resentful, but family's not like that. And they realise when one needs you, you step up to the plate. And that's what love is. Yeah. yeah. And like, because we, disc- like, you've had a, a rigmarole trying to get her into a special needs school, haven't you? Yeah,
2: just a bit. Yeah, we ended up going to court um, because we couldn't get a place for her at the special needs that we wanted. Basically, our local council mucked up, um, lost her place somewhere floating around in the sky. Um, But we fought and fought because we'd done everything that we could to make sure that she went to the best school because she deserved to. And we won our appeal. And she now attends the most amazing special needs school ever. Um, She's got fantastic staff who look after her. Um, And it's not just a job. They really, really care for her. So I will forever be grateful to them for what they do. And her previous nursery where she went as well.
0: Because like Lee was telling me about how many other poor souls fell through the cracks. Do you remember the numbers?
2: It was something, God, between, could be between 50 and 60.
0: But these aren't the kids who can just go to Crestwood or Caitherd or, because they are yeah. so, like me and my eyes, when I was at um, primary school, there was only one at uh, school that dealt with visually impaired pupil, pupils. But when you've seriously got problems and everything, you can't just fall into mm-hmm. mainstream schools, can you? No,
2: no. Um, I mean, I was fortunate that. Um, before I had Cala, I worked in mainstream primary school um, and I worked with many special children. So I knew that there was no way Cala could go to mainstream schools. Um, the yeah, bridge would yeah. have got wider and wider. Um, as it is now, she's mentally between an eight and 12-month-old. Um, although she loves socially being around other children, educationally and academically it just wouldn't have worked for her um, and I don't care that she's not meeting goals I'm just happy I wanted to enjoy her life I don't care yeah. if she doesn't learn alphabet or can't tell a colour from a, in a shape I, I don't care as long as she's happy and healthy that's all that matters to us and um, but for her to be in a a special school that we know caters for her needs and I know she's safe there. Um that just makes a whole lot of difference. It means I'm I'm now able to go and find work again um after being out in it for so long and I know that she's gonna be fine
1: there. What's um what's what's her general spirit? I mean I understand that obviously you you guys and, and like your thoughts on it, but what's Kala's general spirit and her how how she feels.
2: Um, <laughs> she's as happy as Larry. She's mm-hmm. um, she's just Larry. started um a new medication called Epidelex. It's just been licensed for Dravet syndrome, and um, so it's a form of cannabis oil. Um, there's only her syndrome and another syndrome that are licensed to use it, and she's been on it about three months now. Um. And she's got her sparkle back. Um, a lot of medications drug you up to the eyeballs, and um, there's a lot of side effects. Um, but this medication is so alert. Um colors. a lot of people know callows fed through her stomach. Um, she's got a peg in her stomach and she's fed into her intestines. And um, because she's got an unplaced swallow. Um, so any form of liquids goes into her chest, into her lungs. Um and she's now she can eat a bit of pure red food, but during this lockdown, she's eating absolutely everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> she's eaten at home. And she she actually eats better than the other two do. Um, but yeah, she's she's she loves lockdown. I think she's enjoying her time out, playing in a bedroom um, getting used to routines at home, spending time with us, I think. Because two
0: things I want to come back to there, Nick. Because, like you're saying, she's got the peg. Because when she was being fed orally, it was going down the wrong pipe, was it? And it was going to her lungs?
2: Yeah. yeah um, so she was initially fed, like you, Craig, with your son, um, had a tube, an NG tube through her nose. Um, but because this is like a long, permanent thing, um, we went down the route of having a peg into her stomach. But we yeah. didn't realise that she was... Um, silently aspirating so stuff, food, liquid was coming back up her her food pipe and then going back into her windpipe and going into her lungs all the time so she was having back to back infections, um, and we couldn't get to the bottom of it um, until June 2018 she was really really poorly um, we were actually at Centre Parks um, on a drive-by weekend um, where The charity organises a whole weekend at Centre Parks. Loads of families with the same syndrome come, get together, do loads of activities. You get to meet Um, up. Unfortunately, she fell really poorly that weekend. Um, We got taken to Mansfield Hospital, um, where she had got severe sepsis from having a bad chest infection. Was very, very quickly put into a coma again and um, we'd also found out that her kidneys had failed um, so we um, spent a few weeks in Nottingham PICU um, and she had a kidney dialysis. Uh, kind of, we were told several times they said we're going to try and do everything we can for her but it's, we don't know if what we can do is good enough um, and it was hard. It's hard on seeing Lee try and be strong but and hold it together because he feels he's the head of the family. That's his job to do. And he, he'll admit to it now, he'll, he never likes talking about his feelings to me, ever. Um, But okay. the one time she, she wouldn't come out of her coma once they stopped the sedation medication. And they said to us they didn't know whether she was brain damaged from sepsis um, and she had to have MRI scans and stuff and I remember it so clearly when they told us that she wasn't brain damaged she was just being a bit slow in waking up I've never seen such relief on Lee's face and that was the first time he cried and opened up to us Um kind of got better and um, and we were discharged to come back to russles hospital where she could recover Um, took her home that night she, fortunately she was sick and she aspirated her sick and that went into her lungs and the next day she was put back into a coma um and we were taken to stoke the icu and she spent another three weeks in hospital um, again, touch-and-go again, um, kidneys starting to play up again, not knowing whether she was going to make it or not. In um, total, I think we were in hospital for nine weeks. She came out, well, no, sorry, I did a pallet, will backtrack, went and they discharged us back to us as well, um, and that's where she was meant to recover after a chest infection. And then they said... She was having problems with pain in her stomach. Now, a lot of children with drug syndrome have very high pain thresholds, um, mm. so Callie doesn't cry. She never has done. And she cried. And it's mm. heartbreaking to see a child cry that never cries. So we knew something was seriously wrong. Um, and it worked out. It turned out she'd got pancreatitis necrosis, which is the first, the worst type of pancreatitis she can get. Um, so she was taken to BCH Birmingham Children's Hospital to the liver unit um, spent ages there. And they said they would put this tube into her intestine to let her pancreas recover. Um, and they said that she'd never been able to bring food up because she'd have this tube going into her intestine. So we asked if we, that could be a permanent fixture, um, which they agreed to and touch wood. She hasn't had a chest infection since. Um, her lungs were amazing. She was on oxygen full time. She's not on oxygen anymore. Um, and she's just, she's the life and soul of a party. <laughs> Bless her.
0: Well, I'll, you say that, Nick. You know the other month when uh, Kate and Jasmine come down to see the horses? Yeah. Well, Jasmine's got a, She she's been fascinated with wheelchairs ever since. And we got her a dolly, and she's got a wheelchair, and she says, like, Caller and she loves it. And I thought, that's what we should be doing, instead of, like, me and Liv talked about this a lot on this show, when you see someone in a wheelchair, and you go, know, oh, don't look, don't look, you just go. Kids are curious, they're inquisitive, so go over and say, it's still a little girl or a little boy. You haven't got to be frightened yeah. of them. Go over and say hello. Yeah. And it,
2: it's, society is very wrong nowadays. I have had so many people... Um, look at colour. Um, when we've parked in a disabled spot, we've got a blue badge. She's entitled to it. Um, and look at us as if to say, "What are you doing in that space?" And being in a lift is the worst place because people don't know where to look. They can't get away from you. I've I've heard parents going like when their little kids are saying, "Mummy, what's wrong with that that little girl?" And the parents going, shh, shh, "Shh, don't say anything." I'm like, I don't mind asking them asking questions and
1: running them ask questions. Where do you think Ooh. that stems from? Do you think that's do you think that's like political correctness or um, like some some kind of self guilt that you're going through that situation and they're not? Where do you think that stems from? Because even my son will do it, you know, being six, seven, eight years of age they yeah. do do it it's a natural thing curiosity is a natural thing for any children and i mm-hmm. think because it seems such a a fragile subject and it is I, f- I don't think a lot of parents know how to explain it with without you know and do you think that's like political correctness or do you think that's just ill informed or what what do you think i don't
2: know i think it's a bit of both um i mean To be honest, elderly people are the worst for it. And I'm not being discriminative or anything, um, but I've had elderly people tell me I'm not supposed to park in disabled spots, um, which really bugs the hell out of me, um, because colour is entitled to it. I think sometimes parents might be embarrassed what their children would say if they were to say the wrong thing and it might offend me or Lee or the kids or whatever. Um so I think it's a bit of both um I don't I don't I don't know, but anybody's free to ask us about that.
1: <laughs> it is one of them things. Yeah, it is one of them things, isn't it? The less stigma that's that surrounds it, obviously, the easier it's gonna be for everyone. Um yeah. we do have a question off Steve Anzor. I'm, I'm going to get it up now, so give me just one second. Basically said oh
0: sorry two uh, your hands
1: up, looking forward to having you on on Monday. Carry yeah. Up Craig, sorry. yeah mate I think he says that now she 's at school or when she 's at school, do you find that takes the pressure off you and Lee, or do you find yourself worried about her more um I think without giving it up because I can 't see it, that was the the general um direction of the the question
2: um i guess it has in a way um it's given me a bit of me time i'm mommy i'm a wife but i'm a carer as well and i'm going to be a carer for a very very long time and like many other special needs parents and carers you don't get time to be you very often um, so it is nice to have that bit of me time. Of course, we worry about it all the time. Um, I count down the hours till I go and pick her up. Um, as far as Lee's concerned, at the moment, he's our financial person who we lean on. So it would be nice for me to be able to go back to work and help him Provide for us because I think that's what he feels his role is to do, and it's not fair. Um, but yeah, we do worry about it all the time. You can't not with a child who's medically complex like she is.
0: I think, like me, and Lee have talked a lot about it, and guilt comes in, doesn't it? Because, as you say, as a mother carer, what you need that bit of switch off time, you need that bit where you can get to Mary Hill. you can do whatever you can just sit down on the settee and go thank goodness but with that comes the guilt like being a parent with a a well child you're always feeling guilty aren't you should i be doing this should i be doing that but should if i send it to i know lee always says i feel guilty because i want to be with my daughter but at the same time i've got to work and do do you suffer with that yeah um i mean i feel guilty being at home and lee
2: working but it's a hard job in itself being a parent to a special needs child. It's mentally and physically draining. I am absolutely pooped. I yeah. have to get up through the night to put Palace feed on. Um, and um, we're very light sleepers. Um, we've got a monitor in our bedroom and the slightest noise, you're, you're awake and you're looking to make sure she's okay. Um so yeah, it's 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 a hard hard job to have, and it's one that you never expect that when when you're pregnant, you expect everything to be fine and dandy, and then to have a child like Kala, it, it shatters your world because you dream of having a certain child, but we wouldn't have her any other way. She she brings so much joy to so many people. Um, she's got the most infectious smile and a little giggle. Um, and she, she just likes everybody's everybody's life, everybody that knows her. Caller's no, kind of got a name at school. Everybody knows who Caller Rose is. That's my name. She is.
1: Has it, um, it's probably going to sound like a really strange question now, but going through what you've, you, you're have you going through with, with Caller, you have gone through and you're going through, has it taught you anything about yourself?
2: Um I guess so. I mean, I've had my own mental health issues. um I've been on medication, especially through the beginning of Calla's journey. um my dad unfortunately passed away very, very suddenly um when Calla was on the children's ward actually. um it that was the worst time of my life, never knowing. Whether to be down races with my dad or whether to be with your child who's probably upstairs, that was very difficult um I guess it's taught me that you just gotta be strong um i don't know it's it's, it's very difficult um
1: we tip our act <laughs> to you we no, we we tip our out to anyone like like yourselves because. In, in my eyes, life is tough enough, and everyone says it. Life is tough enough. Even stuff I feel I'll go through is is tough, and it shows me how resilient I can be. So, like, the the thing that you and Lee has to go through on a day-to-day basis, you know, the uncertainty or the, the stress, the you know, I tip my hat to you because that takes a very special kind of person to be able to go through that with, with a child, you know, with anybody but with a child, um, you know, we tip our hat to you because we, we think it's it's amazing what how resilient you, you can actually be.
2: You've got to be. You're their voice at the end of the day. And everything that I do, we do, is for her because she can't stand up for herself. We've got to be her voice. So we've got to do everything that we can to ensure that she lives... The best ones that you can do
0: you know you know people within the threat syndrome circle like you said you went on that residential have they been a big yeah. help
2: yeah um the java community are fantastic they're a wealth of knowledge um and they're there it's a complete family Um that's why the the get-togethers at the weekends are so important because you speak to each other on Facebook or you'll message each other, but you don't actually see them in person because they're dotted all around the UK. Um, So they're a good group of friends to have because they know what you're going through and it's nice to be able to talk to somebody who understands because I've I've got a great group of friends, some amazing best friends, but they don't know what you're going through and I think you, you need to have somebody that's got a special needs child to understand exactly how you're feeling
0: and how, how did you manage to find them was it just on a, fo- a forum just in case anyone out there's listening to this and they've got um, same things how, how would you find one of these groups Nick
2: um a lot of the times it's on forums on facebook and the actual dravay syndrome website guided us to the facebook page and but there are are special needs facebook pages where people can search if their child has got a specific condition um, and they need help or advice they can just ask people there's so many people out there are willing to help um, and listen
0: And I think what we've got to do sometimes is have the strength to understand that we need the help. Instead of struggling on your own and suffering in silence, have the strength to accept the help.
2: And that's what I don't do. (laughs) I have a lot of friends that say to me, if you need help, don't forget to ask us. Or if the kids are sick, if you need me, ask me. But you don't want to put all your, you don't want to burden your problems on to them so we just I kind of like deal with it myself because that's what I feel like I have to do um so I guess accepting help off people is is a good thing something that I should learn to do
0: I think a lot of people should learn how to do it Nick and it's so odd because if I accept help am I weak or what they think I'm weak
1: no you're a human being and we all need help We do. Um, you know, like, from meeting Lee, because I only met Lee, I've never never met you in person myself, have I? And I only met Lee from the start of this podcast. And, like, from the time I first met him uh, months, months ago, it's literally been months ago, um, to ha- how he is now and where he is now, you know, it's something that I'm proud of myself, let alone all of us, because I feel that, from meeting him for the first time in that room, I knew nothing about him, nothing about your story, nothing about um, your child, nothing at all. And I can see how like this podcast is focused, uh, and that shows the importance of sharing things, helping people, but also accepting help as well. Um, yeah. And i you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of Lee for that myself, and I've literally only known him months since the start of this, and I think you, you. You both do, you you both do a, a job that no parent had ever wanted to do.
2: Yeah, it's the Black Country Blokes has helped Lee massively. He he'll admit it. He doesn't talk. Um, there's been times where he'll just take himself off to his room, and it could be two or three days before he decide to speak to us. And I'd <clears> let him get on with it. Now. Um, but the Black Country Blokes has helped him massively. Um, and he'll sit and talk to us now, where before he never would. So I think he's learned to accept that you do need to help and you do need to talk. Um, yeah. And having someone to listen is so important for mental health. Well,
0: well this is why we started, because so many blokes, especially, and women understand, but mainly blokes. You don't always go to your partner. The person you've decided to spend your life with, and of all the people there you fell in love, they're often the hardest person to talk to. It's, it, mm-hmm. I used to think it's easier to go on holiday, meet a bloke, confess my soul because I'm going to see him again. So we wanted to get people together so we can all talk and say, you know what, you get scared or you've got a poorly trial or you've got depression. So I think if we can talk about it and realise we're not alone, the world isn't such a lonely place,
2: yeah,
0: you're very right. One hundred percent. Well what we're gonna do, unless there's anything else you wanna say, Nikki, before before we finish. No, I don't think
2: so. Just thank for having
0: us on. Well, have a little think. I'm just gonna tell everyone about next week's show. So while I'm having a rattle, have a think about if there's any uh, quotes or sayings or things that have got you through this. So why I'm while I'm talking, just have a think. Next week, gang, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. So we're going to be going live from Monday to Friday next week. On Monday, 6.30, the rest of the week is 6 o'clock. Monday, we're talking to Steve Hansel, who's previously been on the show. He lost his brother to a very young age. And he's got numerous problems and seeing how isolation's affected him. On Tuesday, we've got the Black Country Women's Aid, who works with men and women who have been abused, domestic abuse, sexual abuse... Modern Day Slavery. On Wednesday, we've got Mick Maguire, who's a great coach from the Jewellery Quarter in Birmingham. Thursday, Marcus Leonard from Mental Health uh, Black Country. And Ian, who's coming on on Friday to talk about mental health first aid and a course, a free course, that he's going to be doing over Zoom. So please stay with us all next week and come on the journey. So, Nick, have you thought of any little quotes or sayings?
2: The caller has a quote on her wheelchair, and it is You never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have.
0: A remarkable. Perfect. Well, gang, until next week, take care of yourselves and each other. To bit Thank you.
2: Bye. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Yeah.
0: And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page, and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta ra listen.
1: listen.